Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Guys, it feels like family. It feels like this should, should be like a reunion, a weekend-long thing, but let's just pray. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you're faithful, that you're kind, that you're slow to, slow to anger, quick to forgive. Thank you that when we woke up this morning, we woke up with the reality that your mercies are new again. Every morning you promised us. God, we're so grateful for who you are, and uh, I pray, Lord, that it would be you speaking through me. Pray, Lord, that you'd reside here. I pray, Lord, that you wouldn't be a visitor, but you'd be a resident here. God, thank you so much that you don't need us, but you choose to use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, So I don't know about you guys, but I actually really love traveling. And with my job and, and what I was involved with in Bible college, I got to do a lot of traveling. And for me, something I found out was uh, Canadians can be really weird when traveling. can be really weird. I started seeing, like, I started seeing some of my students who I got to travel with start actually picking up the accents of the places they're going to. And I'm just like, man, you're not Thai. Why are you speaking like you're Thai? Like, you're not, you don't have a Thai in you. You're, you're like, fully Swedish. What are you talking about? And I remember going to Brazil, same thing. It's like, what? Why are you saying hola? They're Portuguese speaking. Like, what are you, what are you, why are you saying hola? And, and, and for me, I'm, I'm just like in a space where I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to travel anymore with these Canadians because they just, they just don't know what's going on. And I'm Canadian myself, and I notice myself like trying things that I've never tried before. I, I notice these kids like trying like cockroaches and stuff like that. I was like, what are you doing? You're Canadian. But that's something, again, there, there's a lot that can be said about people from from America, and I love Americans. We, I, spent, I spent a lot of time as a kid traveling to, to Florida. I grew up in Ontario, so it was a quick drive down to, down to Disney World. And, uh, and I, love, I love Americans, but I, I, there's one thing that I really love about Americans is that um, they're true to who they are. <laughs> they don't change no matter where they are. They, they, they're, they're true to who they are. And, and, uh, and for me, I, we, we just recently started uh, connecting with this couple from our church, um, who, who came from Austria, and they're living in, on the island for a year. And they said, oh, like, like Canadians, they're so nice, and they just fit right, they just fit right in. They, they blend in, and, but you can notice the difference when it's an American. And I was like, oh, like, so I started reflecting, and then this year we actually had an intern from Idaho. And uh, it was just so amazing, because I, like, I thought in the beginning of the year, um, she had this like, strong like, Idaho accent. And I was like, oh, it's definitely going to change. She's like, she's like rubbing up with us. She's, she's, having, she's having conversations. She's, she's in, our, in our culture. She's, she's hearing our jokes, and she's definitely going to change. And a month goes by, she's still the same. Uh, three months goes by, she's still the exact same, that strong accent. Those, the mannerisms is just like clearly American. Five months goes by, she's still the same. And then we ended up actually having to send her home early because of all that was going on with COVID and stuff like that. And she walked off and she said, bye, y'all. I was like, oh, my goodness, she's exactly the same. And I was like, this is crazy. This is amazing. And for me, I had this moment where I was like, oh, my goodness, she's so good at being in a certain space but not, rec- not forgetting where her citizenship is. And uh, for me, I, we serve this God um, that is so good 
at reminding us, reminding us of our identity. Uh, but I find that actually a huge threat to the Christian church, the North American church right now, is the forgetting of our true identity. And um, for me, uh, a lot of people, a lot, there's a lot to be said about the, the greatest threat right now to the Christian church. The greatest threat. The greatest threat is, is what they're doing in the school system. Or the greatest threat is this. The greatest, greatest threat is that it's going to be harder for, for churches to meet. But I actually don't think the greatest threat to the North American church is going to be persecution or, or, martyrdom, or martyrdom. But I feel like the greatest threat to the Christian church is going to be cultural camouflage. The fact that we, 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 we tell our kids, oh, don't worry about fitting in. Don't worry about looking different. You're different. But it's almost like as we get older, we don't hold on to those same, same principles. If we look at our bank accounts, it's the exact same if, as a non-Christian. If we look at the way we dress, the way we act, our, our business, business ethic, it's the exact same. And it's just like God is, Jesus, when he, when he came to earth, he did this amazing thing, this amazing thing where he was residing on the earth, but his citizenship was still in heaven. So there's this amazing text, one of my, probably my favorite texts in the, in the, in the Gospels, one of my, one of my favorite. And it's, and it's one that has some debate about it, but it's an amazing text. And it's where this woman is caught in adultery. And it's just like this like heart-wrenching scene, especially when you see these people as, as real people. Like, okay, these Pharisees really took this woman, dragged her in front of all the people, and threw her at the feet of Jesus and said, judge her. Like, once we realize that these are real people, we start actually, like, understanding the weight of Jesus' love for us. And remember, in this story, we're not the Pharisees, and we're not Jesus. We can't, we can't ever fool ourselves into thinking we're, we're the hero of the story. But we're always the villain. The only thing heroic we'll ever do is turning to our Savior. The only thing even remotely positive that we could ever do is turning to our Savior. So I just want to read this text right now. And, and, and just share with you um, kind of the, the best space for us to sit in as, as contemporary Christians. Let's, let's, let's read together. It's, it's John 7, 53 to 8, 11. It says, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst they said to him, placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, uh, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And they said this to test him. Aren't they always doing that? They're always testing him. That they might have something to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and, go now on and sin no more. So Jesus was in this space where he was almost like forced to pick sides. He was almost forced to pick sides. He's like, oh, you can stand with the Pharisees. 
You can stand with us or you can stand with the sinner. Lord, either way, and Jesus recognizes that either way he's not actually winning. If I stand with the Pharisees, I'm, I, I'm offending this woman. I'm leaving her alone, broken, dead, lost in her sin. If I stand with this woman, leave the Pharisees feeling like, oh, questioning my ethic, questioning my conviction. But Jesus does this amazing thing. And I believe that as Christians, we are supposed to do this amazing thing of being the third option. So oftentimes, especially what's, what's, what's going on right now with, with COVID and racial injustice, it's so easy to be blue or red. So easy to be left or right. It's so easy to be conservative or liberal. But God hasn't called us to be the second or the first option. He's called us to be the third option. What, what does it mean for us to be the third option? What does it mean for us to, to, to not stand, to, to, to simultaneously disarm the Pharisees, but also send this woman away feeling convicted, but convicted from this place of love? What does it mean as Christians to be, actually be the third option? What does it mean? And for me, I, I stand here um, burdened for our church, burdened for the state of our church, when the most, vocal, the most vocal people are being right now is about their political party and not their kingdom. Like, it's like, what, what is that going to gain us? Temporary, temporary gain, maybe. But God is calling us to live. I love what, da- like what Pastor Daniel uh, was saying at camp. As eternal beings in temporary bodies. He said it way better than me. <laughs> But it's so important for us to recognize that it's not left or right, it's third. It's kingdom. It's Jesus. Let's remember that. And we see this amazing picture. It's so easy, guys, to, to be caught up in the arguments or caught up in a side or, or begin to look like culture. But what does it look like as Christians to actually stand out, to be the disruptors? And, and not, in a, not in a, oh, I'm, 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 I'm being belligerent and I'm disrupting. It's like recognizing that fully living out the gospel is disruptive in and of itself. So you don't have to worry about being, being offensive. Like you, sometimes Christians will take that theology or take that idea and say, okay, I, so I have to be offensive. I have to hold up signs that says God hates this person or God hates this sin or God. Recognize that you fully living incarnationally will cause a disruption in and of itself. So we have to walk in that, in this pr- pr- prophetic space where, where we're living in the present but being mindful of the eternal. And I love these guys. These, there's these amazing guys. There's three guys who are alive in 6th century B.C. And we, we often tell the, the stories about it in, in, uh, in, uh, kid, in Sunday school. Uh, how many of you guys grew up with, with felt, boards? felt boards? You got to see these three guys, three guys, these amazing guys who were, uh, who were um, living in Babylon because they were exiled. Um, it's in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And they're actually uh, prompted and, and convicted and, and asked and, and begged to, to bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and they, they, actually, they actually just, it just didn't fit with them. It just didn't fit with their ethic. It just didn't fit with their ethos. They said, oh, I just, sorry, I just can't bow to the statue because I serve God. And what was taking place in this Babylonian exile was, was the, the people of Israel, they were a different nation, but they were actually called to live in this new nation because, of their, because they, were, they were held captive. And so they're left with this tension of like, what does it look like to have citizenship in a different space, but have to actually live in Babylon? What does it look like? And Babylon was this like pagan nation, 
super pay, worshiped other gods. Child sacrifice. There, like there was the, the unthinkable that was happening. People were so caught up in, 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 their, in, their, in their, their own benefit. They were, they were, they were caught up in their, their selfish desires. And, and, and these guys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put in this place where they had to ask of themselves, what does it look like to live in the midst but not be of? What does it look like to be in the world but not of the world? What does that look like? And I believe we see two things. We see two things. When they said no, they said no. They said, ah, I just can't. That just doesn't fit within my category of what right worship means. I can't bow down for that statue. And we see two things that happens that I believe that we need to be prepared for as, as contemporary Christians. The first thing, they're exposed. So everyone's bowing down. Imagine that. Imagine the scene like thousands of people, a thousand magistrates and leaders were bowing down at the statue. And they're like, sorry, i just just not doing that. And they're exposed, and there's this moment where someone actually tattles on them. <laughs> someone says, okay, you know what? There's these guys, king, you made this decree that anyone who, anyone, anyone who doesn't bow down to your statue has to get tossed in this fiery furnace. So they go and they, they say, okay, okay, I know the cost, of, of, of true Christianity, of right worship in, a, in, in this culture and living in this, in this new country, having a citizenship somewhere else, I know the cost. Jesus knew the cost. I think Jesus was this amazing example of a living sacrifice. His literal, like literally, the reason for Jesus' existence was to be a living sacrifice, like to die. He was existing to die. And these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, recognize that if it means death, it means death. I love what Esther says. Esther says, if I perish, I perish. But right worship, advocacy, like standing for the things that are greater than myself, standing for justice often means if I perish, I perish. There's often, there's, there's probably people in this room who've had to stand up for for. for someone in the last bit or a certain belief you have in the last bit. Maybe it's as a church. I have a church friend uh, right now who's leading a church who their whole board is against this idea of standing uh, for racial justice. And this pastor, this pastor friend of mine had to say, like, I'm preaching about this, and if I perish, I perish. The future of the church is dependent upon believers, sons and daughters of the Most High King, who say, if I perish, I perish. But my job is actually to step out in my identity as, as someone who's living in but not of. And these guys, they're exposed, they're, they're highlighted. And sometimes we, 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 we get so tempted to camouflage or, or to fit in because we don't want to be exposed. We don't, we, we're not ready to be exposed. We're like, okay, what if I'm exposed and it just doesn't turn out the way, the way I thought? What if I'm exposed and, and I just, ah, my kids get put in danger? What if I get, get exposed and it just doesn't end up how I... But remember that God has called us to be a light and salt. You, can, you notice when you put salt in food. It's exposed. It's very much so exposed. Do you, like when you're in a dark room and you turn on your, your flashlight, or, or for some of you, you, you turn on your camera, your, 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 um, not your camera, your, your flashlight on your, cam on your phone, and, and you, you recognize that as soon as I turn on this light, I'm exposed. 
See, I'm sneaking up. See, I'm sneaking up on you, Shanda. And I turn on my flashlight. You're like, oh, you're right there. <laughs> you're not hiding anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it's so important that we, we step into this identity as salt and light as Christians and be willing to be exposed. The second thing we see in the story is that we have to be prepared for the fire. So these guys knew, knew the consequences and they were ready for the fire. They said, I'm ready to be stepping. I'm ready to be a living sacrifice. And what happens when they're sacrificed? They, they came out living. So oftentimes when we're ready to, and, and so oftentimes we, we, we almost try to protect ourselves and our kids from the fire. And I, and I believe that God's telling some of you, whether you're at home, whether you're in this space right now, that, that you're not actually supposed to be protecting your kids from, from the fire. You're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be developing them for it. It's, it we're, like, we're, like sometimes we put too much, we put too much stake on, on, on protecting the next generation and not, a much, not as much stake in discipling the next generation. And once we disciple them, they'll be, ready for the, they'll be ready for the fire that they face when they hit university. Why is it, why is it that the, that the statistics right now are four out of five students who, who, who are grow up in, in the church, who grow up in the church and, and go to university, why is it that four out of five leave their faith? Why is it? Is that because we focus too much? I, I like, I, that's my theory, actually. I'm not going to ask the question. That's my theory. My theory is that we put too much stake in protecting our kids and not enough stake in discipling them. So, so as, you, as you focus, on, oh, I'm not going to put them in that school. I'm going to put them in this school. I'm, and again, this is not like a statement as far as like, like what school to put your kids in. But remember that they're supposed to be in and, but not of. So oftentimes that takes not protection but discipleship. So, and, and there's this moment... I love, I love this story because they're in the fire. So it's oftentimes when we're in the fire, it's when we're in the fire, when we're prepared for it, that Jesus is the most present with us, that we're actually protected. The very thing that we're trying to protect, protect ourselves, our kids, our family from is the very thing that God's leading us actually through. But it's like, it's, it's not until we're discipled. It's not until we understand the, the ethos of heaven. It's not until we understand that we're actually called to be living sacrifices. Will we, will we truly recognize that? And I'm so grateful for the leadership you guys have, the, 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 the mantle of discipleship that you guys have actually resting on horizon. I told Daniel and Katie on, on one of the nights that, that there's actually a mantle of discipleship and worship resting on horizon right now, that we're actually sending people out with arrows, ready to be sent out, ready to be sent out and, and, and to puncture, to puncture. What does it look like to send out our people, send out small groups, send out young leaders to actually pun, puncture culture? An arrow disrupts, remember that. An arrow is not going to bounce off me. It's not going to bounce off. It might bounce off Pastor Daniel, but it's not going to bounce off me. Arrows puncture. They disrupt. And for us, as we go out as Christians that are meant to gather and go, gather and go, it's so important that we offer, I love what it says. And this is what I'll end with. I love what it says. Paul's writing to this like church in, in, in Rome. He's Christians. And they're living in this space where there's, like, it's an it's a, it's a overwhelmingly pagan culture. Sometimes we can look around uh, in culture and say, this is an overwhelmingly pagan culture. Overwhelmingly. But, he, but this is his one pride to them. We see it in Romans, 1, uh, Romans 12, 1 to 2. This amazing, this amazing, like, exhortation. And for me, I want to leave you guys with this exhortation as well today. Um... It, it, it literally wrecks my heart. It convicts me every time I read it. It says this. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, do not be camouflaged to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. Horizon Church, you, like, you guys are doing the unthinkable. You're being recognized by your, by your MLA, by your provincial government. Like that's not normal. In a, in a, in a pagan culture, that's not normal. But, but God has used your living sacrifice, the people. I heard about a pastor who sacrificed an income for half a year, maybe longer, so that this church could be planted. Like there's people who, have, who went before you and actually offered their lives as living sacrifices so you could do the same. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you're faithful, that you're kind, that your, your, your presence is actually resting on this space. Your, your presence is actually resting on the people in Horizon that are coming from this land. You're blessing RCA. You're blessing PLBC. You're bringing health. You're bringing restoration. You're bringing renewal and revival, Lord. This is actually going to be an apostolic center that you're going to use to shoot off arrows. God, I'm so grateful for who you are. You're slow to anger. You're quick to forgive. And your Holy Spirit is with us, mobilizing us to action. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.